everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and I'm excited to help us usher in a new era, Crowning Around, as we enter a new era of the show that has been our guiding light throughout this process, Netflix's The Crown. Today, we'll be diving into uh, season three with the premiere uh, entitled Olding, uh, which introduces us to a brand new cast, including Olivia Coleman, Tobias Menzies, Helena Bonham Carter, and the return of our favorite John Lithgow as uh, Winston Churchill. As always, joining me to help recap this episode of The Crown are my two amazing co-hosts. First, a guy experiencing the cold blowing wind of socialism from his home in Europe. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, how cold does the wind of socialism blow across Europe these days? Well, I live in the country that literally created the world's first mega corporation, the Dutch East <laughs> India Trading Company. So I'd say capitalism is alive and well here. But you you get the you get the public health care, right? Uh ish. <laughs> really? So that yeah, that, you'd say that wind is dying down. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's in the places it needs to be. But uh, yeah, I, I think when people refer to like Europe as like this bastion of socialism, I think that might be a bit of a misguided uh, diagnosis. Gotcha. You need to go to Scandinavia and then you get it. Yeah, I guess. I hear it's really expensive to live there, too. That's like, a, yeah. Oh, well. Well, well, breaking those fantasies. <laughs> yeah. Also back with us today. A woman who just learned that the secret to free private air travel is admitting you're a spy. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, where are you going to go? Well, apparently not Europe to get free <laughs> health care. Um, where do I want to go? I've never been to Australia. I want to go to Australia. Gotcha. So you are a KGB spy and you know someone in Australia is a spy. <laughs> Boom. They're going to send you there for free. Sounds great. Sounds great. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, if you are just joining us, you've never experienced uh, an episode of our podcast before. Just to you know, clear things up, we don't know anything about the royal family, really. We are not historians. Like I said, we're just three regular everyday people who want to learn more. And the crown seemed like the perfect way to do it. Um, so we're just going to assume that everything that happened in the crown is 100% accurate, um, especially on episodes where they end with like a sentence on the screen. That makes me feel especially confident that what happened is actually the truth. And so, yeah, if you came here for any sort of clarity on the historical accuracy, you've come to the wrong place because we have no idea. Um, but today we're talking about the season three premiere, Olding. And just to give us a quick recap, I think, Ivan, you've got a recap planned out for us. Yeah. So uh, it is October 1964. So uh, there really has not been any kind of major time jump since the end of season two, uh, which the show kind of has like this tongue in cheek uh, explanation for, uh, you know, why uh, the queen is, you know, a bit older now, you know, no longer portrayed by Claire Foy, but now uh, by the brilliant uh, Olivia Coleman. Um, and, and it's just kind of brushed away as like, a, yep, I'm getting older. I, I don't look 
the the way I did even a few years ago. That, that's what happens. Life goes on. Um, so yeah, a bit of a, a kind of meta ceremonious introduction for the uh, new lead of the show. Um, anyway, uh, it's 1964. Um, the uh, country is in turmoil, like it always seems to be uh, uh, in the show. Um, and uh, they are uh, either on the eve of or the day of the election in which the uh, Labour Party is expected to take back control of Parliament um, over the Conservative Party. And there will be a new uh, Labour uh, Prime Minister uh, by the name of Harold Wilson. While all of this is building up, uh, Elizabeth and Philip are uh, kind of getting a uh, update on the la- latest uh, artwork that's being hung up across uh, Buckingham Palace uh, through the help of a character that I don't think we've ever met before, but seems to be of great importance, Sir Anthony Blunt, who is kind of their art surveyor um, and actually seems to live uh, uh, in Buckingham Palace and plays a very integral role into the family life. Who knew? Um, anyway, uh, uh, Anthony and Elizabeth get a little chatty and gossipy, and he seems to put some um, ideas ideas in her mind that the incoming uh, Harold Wilson might uh, be uh, some kind of, you know, former like KGB mole slash spy, someone who might have some uh, loyalties to the uh, Soviets rather than uh, Western interests. Um, uh, This kind of rumor is further exacerbated uh, when Elizabeth uh, visits a very frail um, uh, former prime minister, Winston Churchill, who is, uh, to put it very you know, bluntly, on his deathbed um, and in his final days. Uh, she pays him a visit and brings up this topic, and he really only seems to reinforce this notion that it might just be uh, more, than, more than just a rumor. So as, uh, you know, uh, the episode progresses, uh, we don't get like a ton of like major happenings uh, up until, uh, you know, the end. Uh, it's all just a lot of uh, table setting. Uh, you know, Elizabeth meets the new uh, uh, prime minister. Uh, you know, it's a better first meeting than I think both of them uh, expected since uh, I-, I think they kind of both of them went into that uh, initial meeting kind of expecting it to be very contentious, but they uh, start to find common ground. Um, and then uh, as the episode goes on, uh, news is kind of breaking across the you know various intelligence agencies on both the British and the American side uh, that there is, in fact, a KGB mole somewhere within the higher ranks of British government. Uh, but uh, it is not, in fact, uh, Harold Wilson, uh, who turns out to be a red hair but rather none other than Sir Anthony Blunt, the art surveyor at Buckingham Palace. Um, So he is uh, uh, exposed um, uh, internally, uh, but uh, the government uh, makes a strategic decision not to uh, out this scandal to the public uh, so as not to appear, um, you know, disorganized and weak and incompetent, um, especially in the eyes of some of their um, allies in uh, the American intelligence community. Uh, So in the end, uh, Sir Anthony Blunt is allowed to just continue um, operating as the art surveyor to the royal family um, without any kind of swift punishment um, to the dissatisfaction of both Elizabeth and Philip, uh, the latter of whom confronts um, Sir Anthony Blunt uh, at an art gallery and, uh, you know, essentially kind of threatens to take matters into his own hands and potentially expose him or punish him in some manner, um, uh, to which uh, Sir Anthony Blunt uh, recoils with a... uh, 
similar uh, kind of threat that he himself might uh, expose some of the scandals of Prince Philip that were bubbling about uh, throughout uh, the last season. Um, so that's kind of the crux of the episode. Um, we also get a little bit of Margaret, uh, now played by Helena Bonham Carter. Um, she appears to be experiencing some, uh, marital difficulties with Tony, who seems to be very absent and disinterested in spending any, uh, time with her, uh, one-on-one. Um, and yeah, that is the, uh, the start to season three. Uh, this was episode one, Olding. Thanks, Ivan. Um, so yeah, a lot. I feel like there is a decent amount to talk about this episode, even though this was definitely on the shorter side of episodes that we've talked about in The Crown. I think this episode was only like 47 or 48 minutes. Um, and I feel like, especially throughout season two, we're used to seeing episodes that were a full hour, if not more. So a little bit of a shorter start to season three. You did say, I think, at the beginning that we kind of picked up where we left off. But I will say, we got a whole prime minister born in, or I guess not born, but like, came and fell that we missed uh posh alec okay yeah i I was a little confused about that because this isn't just coming like off the heels of mcmillan is it yeah because i feel like we ended season two and mcmillan was retiring he was like i just can't do it anymore very little resolution to the issues with his wife Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so i guess in between mcmillan and wilson there was posh alec that's what wilson calls him and Posh Alec, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, I thought that was his actual name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I forget. I feel like they did say his last name at some point, but I just, I just am going to call him Posh Alec because I thought that was hilarious. And Posh Alec, you know, went through and then he either A, was killed by the KGB or died of lupus <laughs> and thus led to the ascension <laughs> of Wilson. Oh, wait, wait, wait. But hold on. Posh Alec... I- wouldn't that mean that Posh Alec was the leader of the opposition, like of the of the Labor Party, and because he died, then Wilson ascended to leader of that party? I thought that someone in the Labor Party died, like around the time of the election, so that Wilson. But wait, wait, wait. Stand. So I wait, don't know. McMi- <laughs> wait, McMillan steps down. Mc- yes. Wait, McMillan was conservative, right? Yeah. Yes. So if he stepped down, wouldn't he have then been replaced by another conservative prime minister? And then there would have been an election in which uh, Labour takes over and mm. Harold Wilson as the leader of the Labour Party then becomes PM? Is that not how it works? Oh, maybe you're know. right. Wilson seems surprised, but yeah, maybe he's just surprised that his team won. So, so there probably was a prime minister that we weren't introduced to in the interim, but it would not have been Posh Alec because he was Labour. All right, so I guess I was confused. So there wasn't as much time between. We're all confused. We're all confused. That's why um, we need someone who's actually British. Yeah, this is, yeah. so <laughs> as you can see, we're not historians. But I felt like this season, or at least the first episode of this season, felt a little bit different because obviously in the past we've seen uh, Tommy Lassell's The Spy. But I felt like in season three, this did take on more of like a spy kind of tone and i thought it was a cool uh like different tone yeah it's interesting because like i'm sure the cold war has been going on this whole time but it definitely feels like it's heightening in like the start of this season so i guess at the beginning we kind of get into this season with like a 12 person envoy from the royal mail and they're bringing over portraits for the new queen elizabeth to look at because they're aging up I guess the Queen Elizabeth stamps. <laughs> They're transitioning her from young to not as young. 
And I thought it was a cool way to kind of transition because you do see the profile of like the Claire Foy queen. And now right. you see the profile of the Olivia Coleman queen. And it was a cool way to put on the screen this transition to a new era of the crown. And I just thought that was fun. Totally. I assume they do that in real life, too. I want to have like an old Elizabeth, a middle Elizabeth, and like an old Elizabeth. Wait, no. <laughs> Young, old, and middle. That's that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was a really great sort of visual cue. Do you think the show like deliberately like chose the transition points between uh, actors like to coincide with the time that those stamps were updated? <laughs> oh, that would be some really good planning if they did do that, because I honestly don't know how they cut it off. Because I don't know, it does, at least I haven't seen like a really strong like, oh, it's a different era now. Like, Yeah, well, because we, we left off like the furthest we got in the timeline of season two was somewhere around 1963, right? I think so, which doesn't feel that different from 1965. Four. It's like Four. it's like a year later. Oh, yeah. At most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's not I don't think we're dividing eras here. Yeah, but I feel like I've looked at British money now and it doesn't. I don't know. They clearly didn't update it for like the 90-year-old queen. Like oh, on the really? money now. No. Is it middle-aged queen? I feel I mean it, it's maybe an older queen, but it's not like old queen, like current, like present day queen. <laughs> Could you imagine you have the oldest <laughs> queen? Would, wouldn't that line up with my theory though? Like that they're gonna update it uh again like in the early nineties? And that's the last refresh, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Maybe. Like for the show, yeah, maybe. Oh, so so can I like one other thing I want to say about like you know the the new cast. Um, obviously there is this uh, kind of like a bridge actor from the previous era of the show in the form of uh, John Lithgow, um, you know, coming in to do like one final performance as uh, Winston before uh, you know he the character or the man I should say passes away. Uh, I thought it was like really funny this idea that like you know. Most of the principal cast were going to go ahead and, you know, replace with older versions of themselves because they're aging. Um, and then, you know, in the case of Winston, it would be silly to do that because, you know, let's bring John Lithgow back one last time. Uh, in terms of like the people that they did update, uh, you know, some were probably a little bit more necessary than the others. But I would make a strong case that like Michael Adine, they probably could have just kept the same actor. <laughs> I honestly, it took me a little bit to figure out like who is who. And then like at the lunch scenes where like people who weren't like Queen Mother or Margaret or, you know, Elizabeth and Philip were talking. I'm like, who? Oh, see, this who, is why closed captioning is a godsend, because the first time <laughs> uh, a dean spoke like it had his name parenthetically in the captions. Oh, and I'm like, OK, yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, I I really think it's funny that they let that they let John Lithgow stay like no one else gets three seasons. It's just him. Was he in season two at all? Was he? Might, he might only be in two seasons as well. I thought he was I in mean, if, season if, two. If he was in season two, it would have been like during one of those like historical flashback scenes to like Birdie's time or something like that. Was he not just in random cameos? I, maybe they all just blend together. I don't know. Yeah. There. yeah, I mean, he he definitely wasn't in season two in like any like present day capacity. Mm -hmm. Like it, it it would have been a flashback, I think. Okay. Wait, no. He was there for when Margaret's like scandalous picture wasn't he there for that like when they had those little flash cuts to different people oh, reacting i i don't know if he was part of that montage like are you thinking of maybe like david and wallace i uh, yeah i don't know i don't know guys maybe he was there briefly 
but he was in your head though and that's what matters he he was sort of there for this whole time they didn't change out his actor i would have just gotten the most ancient looking man he's been painting that pond (laughs) for the past (laughs) how long has it been seven years definitely it feels like longer than seven years (laughs) yeah because like when when did he like at what point did season one end like when did he step down because it it wouldn't have been all that long ago, right? Like Elizabeth has been queen at this point for little over a decade. Um, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it was an Olympic year, right? So maybe 56, 60. Yeah, which was, <laughs> that was like yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I thought the new Michael Adine, though, had a more impressive mustache. Um, so I guess the mustaches are back. I, I thought he was asked to get rid of it. What happened? They were asked to get rid Philip, of it, but new- Philip just gave up. <laughs> All right, Where's so- Philip at? He seems like a lot chiller now. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to say. So I feel like uh, new new Liz played by Olivia Coleman. I can see kind of like the handoff. The character feels the same. Same with Margaret, although Helena Bonham Carter's Margaret seems to be going through that kind of like midlife crisis that we saw in the Queen's Sister, and then Philip. Feels very different. More See, stoic, more chill. Yeah, I think that Helena Bonham Carter and Olivia Coleman, they're making the roles a little bit lighter. I feel like there was more like tinges of comedy in their performances. It might have just been the writing than what we've gotten previously. Like it felt like Vanessa Kirby and Claire Foy, like they were sort of like these very serious. Like you didn't really get much of that levity there. Oh, yeah. I, I see it. Cause I, I wonder. You know, I bet you at the time that Elizabeth ascends to the throne, she probably feels like she has to do everything by the book and present herself very regally and very buttoned up. But I imagine now that it's been a decade and she's gotten comfortable, she probably feels like inclined to be a little bit more whimsical than she used to be about everything. And with Philip, it's like almost the opposite, where all of that, like, you know, kind of boyishness and playfulness is now starting to wither away as he becomes like a miserable middle-aged man. I mean, maybe he, I, funny that you say he sounds miserable. I feel like he's just like leveled out. Like, I can't imagine those two having a screaming match. The, the, the thing that caught me a little bit off guard was when he told Sir Anthony Blunt not to look at them when they kissed. Oh, he that, did that before. <laughs> he's yeah, done he that did before. that before. That okay. was done, I think, maybe in the first episode of season one where, like, yeah, he wanted to kiss Elizabeth, and so he made everyone turn. But I feel like the true the true test for Elizabeth and Margaret, I think, is going to be when they really interact with each other. Because I oh, think yeah. that was when you saw, like, Claire Foy and Vanessa Kirby really kind of, like, give all that they had. And we didn't get any of that in this first episode of season three. Oh, that's true. I mean, they, they would have been in, like, the dinner scene together and then, like, that scene where they're just, like, in a drawing room for that birthday mm-hmm. party. But, yeah, n- none of it was one-on-one interaction. You're right. Yeah. So I'm excited to see when that comes through. Who else did we get? We got a new Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we feel about new Tony? You know, like that whole subplot with, you know, Tony and Margaret, it, it seemed to be obviously setting up something much bigger down the line, but it kind of felt shoehorned in. Like it didn't really allow either of them to make much of an impression. And I'm, I'm guessing we'll find out more about what's going on there in subsequent weeks and have those actors shine. But uh, I I think like we all know what to expect out of, you know, a Helena Bonham Carter performance, but we we certainly haven't seen it like realize anything close to its full potential yet. So I don't have much to say about those scenes other than, you know, they they were just there to kind of whet the appetite for that storyline, but it didn't really do it for me. 
Yeah, definitely, like, not enough time to really, like, bask in. Because I think there, at least with Helena Bonham Carter, like I said, I think there was that interesting bit of humor in, like, the, the way she was, like, treating that one. Oh, um, yeah. That one girl in waiting. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to see, like, when she, yeah, when she actually, like, gets episodes, which I assume will have, like, more chance for her to, like, do her thing. And then Tony just kind of felt tired. Like, it felt like, and this might be on purpose, like, the charm that, Matthew Good brought to the role that kind of made you understand like why Elizabeth like why Margaret liked Tony. Now you're like, okay, he's still sitting on the floor. That that is definitely like problematic here because when you cast Matt Smith and Matthew Good to play like these very charming, charismatic, like younger men, it, it, it's a tough act to follow. And yeah. like anybody who, you know, comes after is probably gonna be a little flatter in comparison. Yeah. yeah. Although we do like Tobias Menzies. I I think he's doing an interesting job. Curious to see yeah. what this Phillips like. Oh, I feel like there's one uh, big uh, casting element here that we need to highlight, and that is Sir Anthony Blunt uh, being played by Samuel West. Like, do you two realize why that's a big deal? Oh, uh, yes. Hyde Park on Hudson. It was Birdie. Yes. That's why I recognized him. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, you know where you're sitting there and you're like... Who are you? A much younger Samuel West. <laughs> right. And so he played Birdie in Hyde Park on Hudson opposite Olivia Coleman. I think, oh, my wait, God. Kinky they, crown winner, right? Samuel yeah, West. Yeah, or, he did win. Right. <laughs> yeah. So this is like a big reunion. That's fun. Oh, my God. That is very fun. Wow. Um, I didn't realize. Thank you for bringing that up because I didn't realize it. I had the same thing that Carlin had where I was like, he feels familiar. And then as soon as you said it, it clicked. Oh, my God. So fun. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Sir Anthony Blunt, because Ivan, as you said, this is the first time we've met him, the art appraiser. But he's been there for, do they say 15 years at least? Doing it was this? a long time. <laughs> a very long time appraising the art. So it turns out he's a KGB spy. And then Britain decides to do the most British thing and just let him go. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Okay, wait, so it's, he's not a current active, like, KGB spy. He he was just formerly embedded into the KGB or at least, like, compromised by them. Like, I didn't understand, like, the full extent to which he was linked to the KGB. It sounded like that way to me. I know that they said that he, for 15 years, passed over, what, like, 2,000 important classified documents to the Kremlin. I don't know. It didn't seem like he was a KGB spy currently, Although the fact that he did insinuate that he had oh, purchased yeah. the Stephen Ward photos did seem like something that a KGB spy would do. Well, also, he was totally like trying to draw the fire to um, Wilson. Like, why would he have done that if he there wasn't something active going on unless true people just caught wind of him? But yeah. I don't know. He seemed like a good manipulator. He did. One of the smart ones on this show. I feel like we don't see many like <laughs> super manipulative spy types. He's so, a... so isn't it weird though that like he he's been working for the royal family for 15 years, and then the uh, you know text at the end of the episode tells us that he's going to be there for about another decade. So 25 years in the services of the royal family, and this character gets one episode. I know. I kind of like him. Why did they do this to us? Yeah. How dare they deny us more of this blunt man? Because he he had a he had a lot of personality. Well, I want to talk about the decision on the behalf of the royal government to decide like it's less embarrassing to let him not pay for his crimes. Well, 
I don't it wasn't know. The go- it wasn't the royal government. It was the, like, MI5. It was the intelligence community. Correct. On behalf of the, I feel like it was on behalf of the government, though, because, right, like, they operate in a public function on behalf of the government. Right. But but I think, like, it was MI5's concern that they had already just made, like, complete asses of themselves uh, in the eyes of, like, American intelligence over recent years. And if they, you know, reveal that they, like, bungled something like this to, to this degree, it would continue to just diminish that relationship even further. So I, I think it was, like, all coming from, like, MI5's uh, insistence. Got you. But this... Okay, that makes sense. But this, I think, falls into the greater pattern of the Suez crisis, all these kind of like diplomatic failures that this country has had throughout the, you know, the past two seasons that we've watched on The Crown. I, I, what, like, what are, are, is The Crown trolling its own country? Like, what is happening here? I don't know. I just think it'd be really awkward to like still have this man work here and like <laughs> Elizabeth just never and live there. Like that's the yeah, other thing. Like... like he is like I mean, did we ever get any kind of indication that like uh Tommy Lassels or Michael Adine or or Martin or or any of that, those guys were actually living in Buckingham Palace? No. Well, we know Tommy so. doesn't, right? He has his own house with his model somewhere else. Well, that in retirement, right? In retirement, but when yeah. he was active, when he was like, you know, the the you know chief private secretary or whatever his job was, like, was he actually residing at Buckingham Palace? Because it, it seems like you like that. I just assumed that was only yeah, family I think, members. I think the only yeah. comparison we have is when Martin and his wife were going to get that apartment, which I don't think was at Buckingham Palace, and then they didn't because his wife started cutting down the tree prematurely oh, yeah, yeah. right <laughs> right okay yeah so so even the most like integral member of the queen's staff doesn't reside at buckingham palace but the guy the guy who talks about paintings does i just imagine that every night now like since this he and elizabeth have that moment every night where she's looking at the <laughs> looking at him through the window that's the other thing <laughs> why does she have a view of his front door from her bedroom <laughs> Why can he see up into her bedroom from his front door? They, this is why it was an embarrassment. They just, everything was wrong. It does feel like missing the forest, or what is it, missing the forest for the trees? Like, Miss, sure, yeah. in the short term, it might help you avoid some embarrassment. But like, I feel like long term now, we're laughing at them for forever for just letting him live in the palace yeah, for the- 10 years. <laughs> The director of MI5 had no idea that one day there would be a crowning around podcast where we would just be lampooning all his decisions. Well, director of MI5, Furnival Jones, uh, real crafty name. Oh, right. I made a mental note to remember that and then it slipped my mind. But oh, yeah, what a a delightful name. I imagine his parents were like, last name Jones. We need to give him the best first name. And they were like, Furnival. That's it. That's the one. It's because Jones is too boring. Yeah, exactly. They needed to balance it out a little bit. All right. Let's talk about the new prime minister, uh, Mr. Wilson, who wins pretty early on in the episode and as a result gets to go visit the queen, which we've seen now several prime ministers do. But I don't know that we've ever seen the lesson plan about visiting the queen in such a fashion. Oh, yeah. See, that was right. so anxiety provoking because you're suddenly like, oh, no, I don't remember what was just said. How's this guy going to remember? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that was good to like show how much of a fish out of water he is 
And like, I don't know if the other guys were also not fish out of water, but this man, he sounds like he was not, you know, not ready for this. Not raised well, for I mean, this. Actually, that, that brings up a good point. Like, wh- why would why would he be any less prepared to do this than any of his uh, predecessors? Because wouldn't, wouldn't they have had no, like, basis for any kind of audience with the queen prior to their you know, appointment or their election or whatever you want to call it. Like what made, you know, Anthony Eden or Macmillan like more primed to do that, like decorum and introduction than, than this guy. I assume it's a class thing. Like there's an implication that the other prime ministers were enough of a high class to have grown up with some amount of like random etiquette type stuff. I don't know. Yeah. That was my assumption as well, because they definitely go out of their way to portray Wilson as kind of like the British country bumpkin. He even seems to have a lot of insecurity about that himself, um, which I thought was interesting, where like the first thing he says to the queen is like, well, I'm sure you wished it was the other guy because I'm just a regular guy. And so I thought that was interesting. But for all the lessons that he got um, and for the way that he's portrayed by, you know, everybody else and for the way that he is like, quote unquote, like unmemorable and uninteresting, I thought he did a good job with the queen. And it does seem like they do have things that they can connect about and relate relate with yeah. each other on. They're for sure going to build rapport. I mean, it was so it was hilarious at the end of the episode, uh, you know, at the art gallery when she was asking him about his interest in art. And he's like, yeah, I don't really <laughs> like art. I'm more of a numbers guy. And just this very like, you know, over the top on the nose, like numbers aren't deceiving like art is. And she looks at him. It's like, bingo. <laughs> Yeah, and like that was something that they start to actually like that's the other thing it's like there was a lot of heavy handedness in this episode I mean the entire scene where like the uh, MI5 or or, you know the authorities are about to you know descend upon um, Sir Anthony Blunt while he's like delivering his seminar about art and what he is lecturing now happens to like coincide with like you know his own uh, you know situation and you know about wearing a mask and one's true self and you know all this stuff i mean it was just very on the nose and in, in in the worst way i agree and mm-hmm. i think that also extends to the speech that elizabeth ends up having to make at the art gallery Oh, so cringeworthy, <laughs> especially like, you know, those thinly veiled, like uh, sort of attacks that like her and Blunt were hurling at each other d- during that. It's just like, uh, come on. Well, I I imagine like what must it have been like to be an audience member at the gallery because it's so much yeah, weird tension. Exactly. I was thinking I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. Those people are must have been like, what the fuck are they talking about? You're like, did they have an affair? What is this? <laughs> That was crazy. Let's see. So the other moment at the exhibition is Philip is so pissed. He's so pissed that Anthony has been able to hide under their noses for so long that he is going to call Anthony up to the top floor of the building <laughs> where <laughs> where the gallery is taking place and threaten him personally. And it does not go well. So I, I, what is what is Philip thinking here? Wh- why do this? So, so I just need to say one thing about that scene. Like, so, you know, Philip threatens him and then Blunt kind of retaliates with, you know, this sort of, 
you know, threat of extortion that like, hey, if you do anything to mess with me, then suddenly, you know, the whole world's going to know about your little, uh, you know, scandal with the osteopath and like, you know, the the lunch club shenanigans and all of that. And it, it's funny because like it has been like, what, two months since we reviewed like that season two finale, like Mystery Man. And I'm here thinking like, oh, how long ago was that storyline? Was that season one? Was that like sometime <laughs> in the middle of season two? Like, I, I mean, it, this literally happened in the previous episode and I'd already forgotten how recent it was. Yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> that was a wild scene. And I loved how it's it started as like a scene from The Bachelor. But like it was like, can I grab you for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> can I steal you away for a sec? Yeah. <laughs> No, I thought that was really fun. All right. Some, I think, minor plot points that we saw in the episode. So we learned that the code name for Wilson, allegedly, is Olding. One of the worst code names I think I've probably ever heard. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Is that a verb? I don't <laughs> know. Now? Why is this your code name? It's not like eagle, like a fun animal. It's just Olding. What is that? The The funny thing is, is also it's like, you know, the... The current, uh, you know, Harold Wilson, as we're meeting him, like, yes, you know, he he's definitely an older man, but he still seems pretty sprightly, pretty energetic. This nickname would have been given to him like a decade earlier. So, like, <laughs> they were already perceiving him as a geezer at the time. Poor oh Wilson. My oh, my, I, I like him. He's funny. There's something funny about this man. You just like the cold winds of socialism, Carlin. That's, that's me. <laughs> Loving that cold winds of socialism. Um, I want to talk about, an, I believe, another new character who we've never met before, the Duke of Kent. Um, and so the Duke of Kent, uh, in the middle of the episode, it seems like they're there to celebrate the Duke of Kent's birthday. But Ooh, the Duke Henry? of Kent oh, right. oh, okay. it was birthday boy. is having what seems like the worst birthday. First, his wife basically tells him that he's a nobody. And then <laughs> in the middle of them singing happy birthday, Elizabeth is like, Winston is dead. So <laughs> terrible birthday oh, for this man. I was... <laughs> I was like so curious about whether Elizabeth was just going to march in there and deliver <laughs> that news to everyone and just completely shit on this birthday party. I thought that was what she did. I thought that happened. I, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I, I was I was I was on like uh, biting my nails, like wondering if she was going to go through with it or whether she would have the sense to just kind of deliver that news in a more le- low key way. Because yeah, it, it seemed like the wrong forum for that. She doesn't care. The queen. Yeah. I mean, these people are going to find out about it by no later than 30 minutes from then. Why did it why did it have to be while he's blowing out the candles? Yeah, it's it was it was poor timing for sure. I mean, I'm wondering like what the modern equivalent of Winston dying is for is it like Betty White or is it I feel like it's even more so, right? Like I don't even know if we can have a modern equivalent um, for the death Jimmy of Winston Churchill. Oh. What major president hasn't died yet? Uh I mean, I I don't know that there is one. I I mean, we're, you know, hopefully a long ways away, but I feel like when Obama passes away one day, it might come somewhat close. But even then, like, it's not this iconic wartime president who, like, arguably saved Western civilization. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 hard to think of a comparison for what this must have been like uh, when Winston, you know, passed away. Carlin, your cat agrees. I'm glad we tried. Can I go let my cat in? (laughs) Go, go. It's funny how it doesn't even phase me. (laughs) Speaking of like awkward moments where like people are watching you, like 
in the same vein that it must have been awkward as an audience member watching the um, back and forth between Elizabeth and Anthony Blunt, it must have been equally awkward to be at that dinner table and watch the Duke of Kent and his wife have this, like, <laughs> argument. So, like, I'm curious, though, like, like, what kind of title or rank do you need to have for the queen to celebrate your birthday with you? Maybe they were family friends? Because, yeah, that was weird. I mean, you're a duke, at least. That means you're pretty high up there. Aren't there a lot of dukes? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think he's a family? Is he a family member? Is well, he related the to them kids, somehow? They get to be dukes and duchesses. But then that, you know, raises the question, why haven't we met this guy before? Or have we? I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Maybe we. It's it's completely possible that we have. So, yeah, I think in terms of like this as a season premiere, overall, a little bit slow. Um, at the same time, I feel like some of the other season premieres that we've had have been a little bit slow. And I think they generally the arc of a crown season is to kind of pick up some steam as it goes along. Um, but yeah, a lot of setup here. Obviously, I feel like they set up a Margaret and to uh, Tony trip to America. So that could be fun if we do end up indeed seeing that. But yeah, overall, a lot of setup um, with a new cast. So I guess it was good to kind of introduce us to these this new generation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for the new cast. See some different styles. Let's see what we get. We get. I'm excited to see more of Wilson. Although we'll see how long he lasts. Yeah, new cast, different styles, but cin like cinematography wise, same styles. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I, I was actually about to ask, like, what new styles are you talking about? Are you <laughs> talking about fashion styles? That's all. I don't oh, okay. know. They did. They seem to be putting a little bit of a different flair. Again, it's probably like to also indicate like age, the way people change as time goes on. But no, it's a, I feel like the cinematography and all that was the only thing like reminding me that we were watching the same show, like to get used to like the change of the cast. Otherwise, we might have thought this was Hyde Park on Hudson. No one likes a good tracking shot like the crown. I mean, oh, yeah. how long did it take for those pictures to get from the mail truck <laughs> to the room? Oh, yeah. Good times. <laughs> oh, one other thing. When the remote control for the television is invented, it's going to change Philip's life. <laughs> <laughs> that was so Philip. <laughs> Philip That's just has a guy. Phil. He just has a guy who's like, turn that up. <laughs> like, honestly, I mean, okay. I, like, I, I, have, I have never been, nor will I ever be as uh, exorbitantly wealthy as, uh, you know, Prince Philip was. But, uh, like, I would think that if I were sitting, you know... <laughs> four feet away from a television like especially with the type of temperament that philip has like i just feel like i you know change the damn volume myself <laughs> you'd think how long does it take to get used to your person changing it because i feel like i'd be weirded like i don't want you to watch this tv with me i'd rather just change the volume myself yeah no. well on the flip side like imagine because that table is so long in the dining room imagine yeah. how loud elizabeth must have been like buttering her toast to that really <laughs> disturb <laughs> yeah i mean that's television that's true <laughs> it's funny we were while i was watching that scene like my wife asked oh i guess elizabeth butters her own toast <laughs> i i guess so i don't know maybe english people are just really particular about like the ratio of butter and jam and all that on their toast and that's something a, a but, servant but, could learn but volume of television they're gonna delegate to the <laughs> servants yep Oh my yep. god. All right. Anything else we missed here? I feel like we covered a lot um, as far as like what was in the episode. Anything else to, to talk about here with season one or with episode one of season three? No, I mean, uh, again, like like you said, like a bit of a slow burn, uh, you know, kind of a sleepier start to the season. But 
yeah, it's all going to eventually come to the boiling point like it always does. All right, then. So if you have never listened to an episode of this, what we like to do at the end of every episode, because this is on Netflix and Netflix draws viewers in by being kinky, is noting some of the kinky moments that we saw in the episode and awarding a kinky crown award. Uh, Now, some episodes are obviously a little bit more kinky than others. I think this was not a particularly kinky episode, but uh, Carlin, did we see any kinky moments in season three, episode one? So it actually took me like more than one viewing to pick up on like more than one. But so my my best one is probably Tony's like peeping Tom hole, like his peephole. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was that was kind of my number one. You guys keep going. I'll I'll throw in number two if uh, we need it. Oh my god, I forgot about we'll that. Need it. I mean, there's obviously Philip making people look away. I don't know. I do feel like there was something kinky about. Philip calling Anthony up to his balcony. Yeah. But I feel like none of them compare to this peeping Tom hole. I don't know, Ivan, what do you have? What is it called? It's called a peephole. Hold on. Is that what it's called? A peephole? I guess it is a peephole, yeah. Okay. I think a peephole, yeah. But hold on, Sam, I have to push back a little bit. So you're you're saying that like a a lack of like like you're saying that like Philip and Liz not wanting to turn their PDA into a spectator sport is somehow kinky. No, it's having people in the room, but making them turn around. Hey, it was it was like, <laughs> you know, avert your eyes. Like, we're about to do some PDA. I feel like that is the opposite of I kinky. mean, if it was avert your eyes, Anthony Blunt did not get the message because he full-on turned around. Like, <laughs> but, but he did not Phil, know when Philip they were ju- done. <laughs> what, what did Philip say? It was like eyes to the left or something yeah. of that yeah. nature? I don't know. I'm just saying. It's about I, the power. I feel like we. It's about the power that you have over another man to like make him stop looking at you. Yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. That's, okay. I in that, that case, in that yeah. case, in that case, my <laughs> nomination is Philip making the guy turn up the volume. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Carla, I'm curious what your other option was. Well, yeah, it was the Philip and Blunt like mutual threat sequence. Yeah, I thought okay. it had a lot of angry sexual tension. I agree. Or like even Anthony Blunt buying the photo of Prince Philip. Right? That's kind of funny. Is <laughs> like, imagine who might buy that to keep it safe from the public eye. <laughs> Just like the way they're like, I'm going to be watching you. <laughs> they're watching each other. All right. I've got one. Okay. okay. I've got one. Uh, Blunt and Elizabeth having a view of each other from across the courtyard. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do we think that Blunt actually was looking at Elizabeth because there was this moment where he was like, there was some side eye from under the umbrella. Was he actually looking at her or was it just? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. One thousand percent. I couldn't see, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. I think we we managed to get some good options out of that. Um, it's the people. It's the people. Yeah, yeah. I like the people. <laughs> oh my god. What's did he make that? I do don't think? know. And like, is that the only way he can like enjoy? his wife is by watching her just but not being in the room oh by the way real real quick note on that scene uh, uh with the people um uh, at the start of it uh the the barrel callback where we saw, we saw the mirror again that yeah. was great loved it yeah that was great i'm confused how no one in the room that margaret's in notices just a hole in the wall <laughs> maybe it's I, well I, don't know. I, I think they were probably using the hole for something else oh okay <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. So congratulations to Tony um, and his people. He wins 
the Kinky Crown Award for season three, episode one. But you know what? We always put these on Twitter. So if you have a different opinion about what was kinky, then you can let us know there. I think that's it, right? We'll we'll move on to episode two. Yep. All right, cool. So next time we will be talking about the season three, episode two uh, of The Crown entitled Margaretology. And in this episode with Britain in need of a financial bailout from the U.S., Uh, Elizabeth reductantly enlists Margaret to assist in winning over President Johnson. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So actually, we did get a little bit of a precursor to this. They did talk some financials, um, Liz and Wilson, in the meeting, and he said he did not want to devalue the British pound. I didn't realize that would be coming up again so soon. Everything in the show pays off, I'm telling you. (laughs) Yeah. Is this the trip to America? (laughs) Is it the same or is it a different trip? I imagine it's the same one. I will say, as far as American history is concerned, I would say LBJ is the one president that I probably know even less about than I do about the British royal family. I mean, he's going to be the second consecutive American president that we'll have seen because we saw Kennedy. Yeah, that's wild. Did did we not see anyone pre-Kennedy? Like, was it... Um, didn't we see like Eisenhower? When Anthony Eden I thought we saw to, Eisenhower. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that was the... Okay, right. Because that was when Anthony Eden like had his trip to the U.S. where he fell asleep, or am I thinking about something else? No, know. that was when he that was when he fell asleep. <laughs> God, this show has some great moments. <laughs> On the, I guess that's right. So he's the third president that we've seen in a row because we saw Eisenhower, we saw Kennedy, and now we're seeing uh, Lyndon Johnson. That means our our buddy uh, uh, Tricky Dick is around the corner. <laughs> imagine the nixon episode actually was nixon in the eisenhower episode too was he because nixon was eisenhower's vice president i i don't even have a vivid recollection of like eisenhower so i i I feel like nixon would have been more memorable okay you're right so i'm assuming we'll see it sometime in the future but for now we'll just be talking about lyndon johnson in the season three episode uh two margaretology episode of the crown which we'll talk about next time um so in the meanwhile if you uh liked this episode and you want to listen to any of our earlier episodes if you haven't done so already uh you can do that either at our website www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowning around or on any platform where podcasts are available uh you can follow us on twitter at crown around pod um which you can you know go to to uh you know, participate in the poll or, you know, send us any thoughts about the crown or just get any updates that we may have. Um, Ivan, if people want to follow you and your thoughts about the crown on social media, if you have any, where can they do that? Uh, They can't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Carlin, what about you? Um, Twitter at Carlin Greenwald and Instagram at Carlin underscore G-E-E. All right. And I'm on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God save the queen. God save the queen. <laughs>